We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey, welcome into Candlestick Chronicles, a 49ers podcast on the Blue Wire Podcast Network, sponsored by Cooperage Brewing in Santa Rosa. I'm Kyle Madsen, and I write about the 49ers for NinersWire.com, part of the USA Today Sports Media Group. Joining me shortly is Chris Biederman of the Sacramento Bee, and we're going to dive in a little bit to the 49ers-Broncos game. Um, I didn't get a chance to hop on the post-game reaction pod. Chris flew solo. If you did not listen to that, I highly encourage you to do so now. And we're going to dive into kind of some of the storylines, some of the injury updates from Kyle Shanahan's conference call on Monday and what what we can kind of look for going forward with this year's 49ers team. And we'll go over our Cooperage six pack, the six players we picked to um, make an impact on Sunday night's game. Let's dive in. Blue wire. Hey, this is George Kittle and you're listening to Candlestick Chronicles. I gotta say, man, he crushed the solo pod. You think so? Yeah, I was kind of, I, I'm not gonna lie. I'm gonna like honest friend moment here. <laughs> <laughs> I was because you were like, hey, can you check it out? Let me know. It's like, yeah. And I was because typically when people do solo stuff for the first time, it's like super rushed and like there's a cadence to like because you feel like you have to talk a certain way. But no, you surpassed all that. I didn't even have to awkwardly try and be like, "Hey, it sounded good," but I was really, I was really, really excited when I listened to the whole thing and had I had no notes. Oh, thanks, man. I appreciate that. Um, it was actually so I did one. I don't even know if you remember. I think it was it was one of the Seahawks games, either in 2018 or 2019. I think it might have been before the Seahawks game in 2019, Week 17, where I did it solo. Hmm. I think, and I remember it, but yeah, I mean, I listen to a lot of podcasts in my spare time and some of them include guys like talking solo and you just kind of got to do the the dramatic pause for, oh dude, and make your point. There's beauty in the pause, <laughs> beauty in the <laughs> Make silence. your point. And then even if, if you're midpoint pause and say, you know, something else. So, right. yeah, then you got to do the like laugh at yourself every once in a while, like, right. Like, <laughs> Easy for me to say. Right, exactly. So, <laughs> so 
um there was i was heavily influenced by by some of that so maybe it's like because i listen to rosillo or colin coward i know he's had some wild takes recently but um just in terms of like being good at what he does from a technical standpoint coward's really good i don't obviously agree with everything he says but yeah, yeah, technically man. very good radio host yeah to, yeah from like a technical standpoint from a broadcasting standpoint the guys the guy's good so technically good technically not always great <laughs> I, well done i'm gonna write that one down yeah <laughs> so let's get let i i want to talk about a game with you for sure but let's get into the the couple of injury notes from kyle shanahan's conference call on monday afternoon so trent williams who went down in the third quarter he is dealing with a high ankle sprain. Shanahan said after the game, that's what they suspected. They have confirmed that there's no timetable yet for his return. Shanahan said these injuries typically take four to six weeks, but it could be more. It could be less. The swelling's still too bad to, to have a real prognosis. Looks like it'll be Colton McKivitz, the bonafide dirt dog starting at left tackle for the 49ers for the foreseeable future. If you had picked one injury for the 49ers to have <clears throat> that, they were least equipped to overcome. It was this one. Yeah. And it's I think not that's even, fair. and it's not even about like finding a player who's as good as Trent Williams, because you're not going to do that. You're not just going to have a backup. Who's <clears throat> the best player in the NFL, but <clears throat> their depth on the offensive line just isn't, just isn't great. And it's not like you feel awesome about Colton McKivitz playing left tackle. No, you don't. Um, he played a lot in college. And the 49ers liked him coming out. They thought he improved a lot uh, last season and through this offseason. He dealt with an ankle injury during the week, which was the reason why Jalen Moore was the first guy in. And then they realized after about three snaps that Jalen Moore could not be playing tackle. Jalen Moore in four four pass rush snaps gave up two pressures and a sack. Yeah, not great. So um, I was was pretty high on Jalen Moore, but... Um, he just hasn't been good this year at tackle. And I don't know necessarily what the reasoning is. I know they brought him in initially to play guard, but he played a lot of tackle in college. But in terms of McKivitz, I mean, yeah, like the the thing is, though, I mean, this isn't a silver lining or anything, but like nobody in the NFL is like, oh, you know what we have? We have really great offensive line depth. Right. Yeah. Our swing tackle could start on most teams. Right. Like that's incredibly rare. Right. Like I think the the only time I could think of that being really um, of that being a thing was when the Eagles won the Super Bowl in 2018. And I think Jason Peters went down, but they had like a highly drafted guy um, come in and play left tackle for them when, when was it Vitae? Was it that guy? That's that sounds right. Yeah. So, um, I'm not 100% sure. Yeah, this, this wasn't pre-pod research. This is just off the top of my head. But um, yeah, so it's obviously not ideal. And to your point, like they can, you know, if like Debo Samuel got hurt, you could say, well, they have Brian Ike, they have George Kittle. They could, you know, divvy out targets in other ways. Um, obviously, losing a quarterback is losing a quarterback. But in terms of a guy who's just you can't replace and get anywhere near the level of production, it's Trent Williams. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's three injuries now in three games to key starters, you know? And it's like, I don't, there's no, there's no reasoning to it. There's no common thread. It's just aside from just playing football, 
like we can talk about the Trey Lance stuff again, but we don't. I don't need to rehash that conversation about Trey Lance's injury. But like, yeah, it's just the Niners just have terrible injury luck. Like, it's really, it's really bad. Like you almost have to expect that they'll lose a starter every single game, and they lost two. They lost Aziz Al Shire for a month or two. Yeah, six to, six to eight weeks. A sprained MCL. Demetrius Flanagan fouls. Looks like he'll take over that spot. Yeah, that's that's three games and four major injuries to starters. Yeah. After and, losing Jimmy Ward and George Kittle in the preseason. Yeah. I don't know if Daniel Brunskill is considered a starter still, but you know, he's back at practice this week. He might regain a starting spot somewhere. Like based on the way Spencer Burford played, it wouldn't really be all that surprising if Daniel Brunskill was playing right guard on Monday night against the Rams, would it? No, especially since he dominates Aaron Donald. Am I right? <laughs> so I actually it's crazy. I, I, I was in the Niners locker room um, a couple weeks ago and yeah. And um, I was talking to Brunskill and we talked about a bunch of different things off the record, but I think one of the things he said that he's probably okay with me sharing, I guess would be, I was like, so what's up with the Aaron Donald thing? Cause like everyone thinks that not everyone, but people think that you are like really good against this guy. He's like, honestly, the coaching staff just puts me in a really good position to, um, <laughs> To just not get destroyed by Aaron Donald every snap. Was Love the confidence. What he, is what he said. Well, it was like, you know, even in that 2019 game when they were playing without both their tackles, that's like the case. That's that's the, the case study, right? It was Jimmy Garoppolo getting rid of the ball super quick on all of his passes. And then it was, that's just how you negate a pass rush is just get the ball in the quarterback's hands as fast as possible. Right. Um. So it's a lot of that. But... Yeah, I mean, if, you know, like the thing I came out of, you know, I was thinking about this today, like last year, the Niners were three and five, and then they had the home Monday night game against the Rams. Mm -hmm. And that was kind of the get right game. Remember? Mm -hmm. Of course. It's almost the exact same position now, but the difference is you're missing Trent Williams and Jimmy Garoppolo. I mean, just really bad he was so bad on sunday he was it was it was weird because it wasn't like this is this is what i'm having a hard time with because part of me wants to say like oh um he was rusty and he needs like like uh not not boomer size him but booger mcfarland was on espn on monday night football talking about this how oh he didn't have a training camp he didn't have preseason so these first couple games these first few weeks are going to be him getting back into a rhythm and like i'll buy that because there were a couple throws that that he didn't make on sunday night that i think you're you're kind of accustomed to seeing him make especially those like throws behind the line of scrimmage uh wide receiver screens things like that but also there wasn't like an egregiously bad play where it was like, wow, that was really uncharacteristically Jimmy. Yeah. You no, know, like it's just, it's it all just kind of been Jimmy stuff. Yeah. And I don't know if, I don't know if, if I got sucked into the, to the Seahawks stuff where he looked pretty good for the most part, uh, at, at least until toward the end of the game, he, he started missing some throws, but, I don't know if I got sucked into like, hey, it's going to look like 2017 and he's going to throw caution to the wind and 
It's going to be throwing the ball down the field and getting outside the pocket and moving around. And it just, no, it just kind of looked like Jimmy Garoppolo. It's a little bit worse. Yeah. I mean, him stepping out the back of the end zone has nothing to do with rhythm. Correct. Right. Like it was, it was very typical Jimmy stuff. I think there's an element to, and maybe this is underrated just generally in the 49ers part of this discussion, but like the Broncos defense is really good. Mm -hmm. You know, winning on the road is hard for anybody. Um, But that was just a really bad Jimmy Garoppolo game. Our, Our buddy Nick Wagner tweeted that, you know, George Kittle, Brandon Ayuk, and Debo Samuel combined for what one one touch and five yards or something in the second half. Two touches for five yards in the second half. Two touches for five yards in the second half. So there are things, and and I didn't hit on this in the pod because I mean, for me, like it's really hard to evaluate coaching in game aside from like game management decisions. Like, you know, I I can't. I can't say that Kyle Shanahan's play calling was terrible because I have no idea if guys were just not executing the play calls or things were happening in the trenches that were making these play calls difficult to run. But there's also an element of like, man, like you got to get your playmakers the ball somehow. And Kyle Shanahan typically has been good at that. Mm -hmm. Um, Getting the ball in, in guys' hands like that's that's generally one of his strengths. So that was. You know, that stat was really alarming, I think. Um, but yeah, I mean, Jimmy Garoppolo, just if there are opportunities and Kyle Shanahan said this in his conference call too, like there were a lot of opportunities to get explosive plays in the first half that they mm-hmm. just never got. Yep. Um, I think even that, you know, deep reception that Debo Samuel did catch, that probably should have been a touchdown. Yeah. And then there was another third down where Debo Samuel was streaking behind the behind the defense and Jimmy Garoppolo saw him and then threw it underneath. Yep. So we don't need to relitigate all this stuff, but it's like this is why the 49ers wanted to move on. Jimmy Garoppolo is a quarterback that can function when everything is going well around him and clearly a quarterback that is going to struggle to function when things around him aren't going well. Yeah. And that's ultimately one of the biggest differentiating factors between elite quarterbacks and middling quarterbacks is, you know, guys who can make plays when things are going poorly versus guys who are just kind of system guys, I guess, for lack of a better term. Yeah. Yeah, it was. And this isn't so this is where it's hard to in the in the larger conversation the larger discourse about this. There's really, there's two separate, there's two separate things that need to be talked about separately because Jimmy Garoppolo was bad Sunday night. Doesn't equate 49ers season over like in the analysis of Sunday night football where the 49ers lost 11 to 10 to, to, to Russell Wilson and Denver Broncos. Jimmy Garoppolo didn't play well, but that doesn't mean that the Niners can't go beat the Rams on Monday night and then go to Carolina and go to Atlanta and win those games. And now all of a sudden they're sitting at four and two. Like that's very real, very much still on the table. However, it's going to take for them to get there a better performance than what Jimmy Garoppolo did on Sunday. He wasn't, excuse me. He wasn't the only reason they lost. 
he wasn't the lone reason. There was plenty of other things that you can point to, but his level of play wasn't sufficient to to think the Niners are going to win a lot of games if he plays that way. Like, could they have won last night 10 to 5? Sure. If the defense gets one more stop, they win. But that doesn't change the fact that Jimmy Garoppolo is really not good and has to play better. And you could you figure he 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 should, right? Because he gets back in game shape, gets yeah. back in a rhythm. <laughs> I mean, to me, it's about turnovers, right? Like, I think the defense is good enough and the running game should be good enough to where if you don't turn the ball over, you're going to have a real chance, right? Mm -hmm. And the 49ers turned the ball over three times. They were one of 10 on third down and they allowed a safety and lost by one point, right? And one of the turnovers was the fumbled snap Mm -hmm. that led to the 49ers getting pinned deep, which led to the safety. Um, so like irrespective of how good or bad Jimmy Garoppolo is, I think the 49ers can still win games with their defense as long as they're not giving it away offensively. Mm -hmm. So, you know, like looking back to last year when they had the Rams get right game in November, remember the Niners fell to three and five the week before when they lost to Colt McCoy and the Arizona Cardinals at home right. by 14 points. And they turned the ball three, t- they turned the ball over three times in that game. Yep. Had just 39 rushing yards and didn't force any takeaways themselves mm-hmm. while also allowing 437 yards of offense, which is bananas. <laughs> James <laughs> Connor was really good. Bat guano insane. <laughs> Arizona racking up that much yardage on that defense in hindsight. But do you have to say bat guano? Is it guano bat poop? Isn't that kind of like saying chai tea? I, you know what? I have no idea. Maybe. By the way, Vitai was correct. I looked it up. Thank you. I appreciate that. Um, I'm not going to pr- try to pronounce his, his first name, but I think it starts with an H and has lots of syllables. But anyway, that's like. There's no more reactionary league in terms of like fan discourse in the NFL. And sure. I, I I completely understand you have one game a week. It's not like a basketball game where, you know, the Warriors lose to the Kings and then there's another game that, you know, three days later, mm-hmm. this is there's a week or in this case, you know, eight days to stew on on that game. And given that there are only 17 of them, it's a small sample. So that just makes everything exponentially more talked about. And sometimes people ignore the fact that like, no, this, what, what just happened doesn't necessarily mean that that's the same thing that's going to happen next week. And I talked about it in the solo pod. It's like a lot of stuff in the NFL, maybe then more than any other league happens just kind of against all logic. Right. And maybe the line between being good and being bad is thinner in the NFL than really any other sport. Especially this year. I'm not sure there's any really bad teams in the NFL. The Raiders are the only 0 3 team, and they have 
Devontae Adams. And Chandler Jones and Derek Max Carr Crosby and, on the same right, defense. Darren Waller. Like they <laughs> Yeah. Like the Raiders are better than 0 3, I think. Yeah. Yeah. So I, you know, with while it was ugly and the 49ers look like their season is over and all that stuff, there's still 14 games left. Yeah. And a lot can happen. And maybe Jimmy Garoppolo's right. Like maybe it's a rhythm thing. But I do think what he said post game, talking about rhythm and all that, it's like, dude, just own it. Well, you can't go just, from it was like riding a bike to, yeah, I need a few more weeks with these guys. Like, <laughs> right. Exactly. Exactly. Just own it. And that, like, that's one of the things that Trey Lance did week one was like, yeah, I played terrible. I made too many mistakes. Like, I'll be better next week. Sure. Just own it. And then. Yeah, I'm. I don't know. I, just, I get it. Like, it's, you're it's, you're a pending free agent and you're not going to say, oh, I was really bad, but pay me next spring. <laughs> right. But, you know, like in terms of and I don't know if anyone in the Niners locker room really cares about like what Jimmy says in press conferences or if it even matters at all to anybody else. But like. Just own it, man. Played bad. Admit you played bad and move on. Yeah. Yeah, he wasn't very good. I think there's a better version of Jimmy Garoppolo in there somewhere. But just a couple of the mistakes on Sunday night really, really jumped out. Um, can I talk about the stats I researched? Sure. On the on the podcast. So check this out. I thought this was fascinating. So the 49ers in the first half ran 30 plays. And then 186 yards, so 6.2 yards per play. That would have been first in the NFL last year. They were moving the hell out of the ball. They just could not figure out a way to put it in the end zone. So on first down, this is really interesting. On first downs in the in the first in the first half, they had 15 first down plays, eight runs, seven passes. In the second half. They went into the second half up seven to three. In the second half, while ahead, they had nine first down plays. They ran it seven times and threw it only twice. And in the second half, they wound up going for uh, 81 yards on 22 plays, 3.7 yards per play. That would have been last in the NFL by a lot last year. So in the first half, they were would have been the most efficient offense in the NFL a season ago. And in the second half, they were the least efficient offense from a season ago. And I think a lot of that has to do with first downs. They are so good typically when they're running well or are not like not physically running the ball, but when the offense is running well, they're really good on first down and they're generating first downs on first downs are getting into second and short. And that opens up the play action game. They, there's so many different things they can do that that open up deception that Kyle Shanahan thrives on. Get linebackers going the wrong way. Get safeties creeping up. Get defensive linemen moving the wrong way. But when you're in a scenario like that, where you're running it on first and 10, seven out of nine times, defenses are going to start keying on that. And those seven runs in the second half went for 27 yards with one of them going for 18. So that means the other six went for nine yards. That's a lot of second and long. A lot of second and long. And when a when you have a quarterback like Jimmy Garoppolo, and this is why the 40, this is not to drag Jimmy Garoppolo, 
that this is why the 49ers are moving on because in second and 10, it's nice to have a quarterback that's just going to go make a play for you. Or if you get to third and long, you don't feel like, God, don't have a ton of faith that this guy's going to make a play. And I think that was killer last night, especially in the second half. They're talking about they're not converting third downs, and then they start turning the ball over. Oh, and they're getting in second and third and long every single time they have the ball. It gets hard to convert third downs. It gets hard to extend drives. So when you're facing a defense that's really good like Denver's and you start to become predictable on offense, where you're going run, pass, pass with a quarterback whose strength is not throwing it, you're going to run into issues. And I really think that was a, a key problem last night. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, one thing like with, with offensive line stuff, sometimes I think offensive line stuff can get underrated from the standpoint of like, if you have a good offensive line, but a bad quarterback and even bad skill players, your floor is still a lot higher mm-hmm. because even if you're an NFL quarterback, even if you're not good, you got there because you can throw the ball, because you can complete passes, you can do all that stuff. Really, the differentiating factor between a lot of quarterbacks is like how you do when defenses are trying to take your head off. Right. Even like somebody, say like Jared Goff, right? If he gets protection and he's not pressured and isn't getting knocked down, he could still put up 300 yards. Right. But if Jared Goff is getting sacked five times a game, he's probably going to throw for 100 yards and complete 40% of his throws and throw three picks. Trying to make plays outside of structure. Right. Which is, I think, probably the most concerning, even more so than Jimmy Garoppolo's play. Because I'm with you in that there's a better version. There's a better version of Jimmy Garoppolo, I would assume, coming. But if the offensive line isn't going to be good, it makes the level of difficulty for Jimmy Garoppolo that much higher. Yes. So, and a lot of that has to do with the running game, right? Like I think what's true about Trey Lance's success this year was true about Jimmy Garoppolo and that the 49ers have to run the ball to be successful offensively. Mm -hmm. And even like, like one of D'Amico Ryan's things that he says is like, First and foremost, we got to stop the run. Well, in today's NFL, a lot of people think it's like, oh, the run doesn't matter, whatever. Well, for a lot of teams, if you take away the run, you you take away play action, you force mm-hmm. them to be in long passing situations, and teams are a hell of a lot easier to defend that way. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what's happened to the 49ers in that Denver game, is that when you can't run the ball effectively – and you're backing yourself up with penalties and setting yourself up in obvious passing situations, like a lot of those sacks come on second and third and long because those are the times when you have to have a five-step drop in a longer developing play, whereas on first down, you have the whole playbook at your disposal. But if you're not being successful on first down, to your point, like when they're running the ball in the second half and, and not setting up second and third and manageable situations, it's going to be a lot harder for you to convert, mm-hmm. which is, you know, like 
there's always a direct correlation between success on first and second down and success on third down. Right. Just, you know, over the span of a game or a season, it's a hell of a lot easier to convert third and fours than third and eights. Yep. So, yeah, that's what I think those numbers that that you found signify like you know, Kyle Shanahan probably needs to be more creative on first down, particularly in the second half. Mm-hmm. But again, it's hard to do anything when your offensive line's getting whooped. Yeah, no, that's true for sure. And just to that point, Spencer Burford last night, three pressures allowed. Mike McGlinchey, three. Jalen Moore was in for four pass-up blocking snaps and allowed two. Um, that's according to, to Pro Football Focus. <clears throat> uh, Trent Williams didn't allow any, and his replacements who were in for less than a half allowed three. I mean, it's one just pressure really can hard. one pressure can ruin a play. Yeah, yeah, I, it, it yeah one guy, and that's a little bit <laughs> kind of what we talked about going into the year was: is this offensive line going to be a problem? And it was fine the first couple of weeks, but last night it was not good. No. And Jimmy Garoppolo does not thrive in an environment where plays break down. No, definitely not. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, let's take a quick break, and on the other side, we will get to our Cooperage six-pack. All right, so this really good bit that we forgot about the first two weeks, made it come back in the third week. Cooperage six-pack used to be called Pick Six, I think is, is what we called it last season, where we pick six players total. You draft three players, I draft three players that we think are going to have a good, a good game, an impactful game, whatever it is, on... On that week's game. So I thought we had six pretty good selections, all things considered for Sunday night. Like there were a lot of ways we could have gone. This could have gone very poorly for both of us, but I feel like we had six good, good choices. 
Except for your first pick. <laughs> first pick was George Kittle. He made his season debut. And this is where it's fascinating because I don't know if that was a George Kittle problem or a Kyle Shanahan problem or a Jimmy Garoppolo problem that he had four catches for 28 yards. So I like to frame this exercise as picking the guys who are going to define the game, good or bad, right? Mm-hmm. George Kittle having 28 yards on four catches helps define the 49ers offensive struggles. So from that standpoint, just a phenomenal pick on my part. (laughs) (laughs) PFF Um, gave Kittle a 57.6 overall grade. What'd they give him as a run blocker? 57.7. What color is that? I go by colors on PFF. It's like orange. Orange is not good. You want to be closer to yeah. You, you want ideally want to be yellow or green. Yeah. Yellow. Yellow yellow's average. And then yeah. as you move towards green, it's better. If most of your guys are yellow to green, you'll, you'll, you tend to have a pretty good, pretty good day. Yeah. <laughs> Shouts to PFF and <laughs> color coordinated. Um, no, I, it's really hard to know, right? And we get into this discussion with George Kittle or about George Kittle a lot. There will be games where the offense completely dominates and Kittle has two catches. There will be games where the offense is really problematic and Kittle has 15 catches. And there there will be mixtures of both, right? Yeah. I've just always wondered, like, the Chiefs, figure out a way to get the ball to Travis Kelsey. Yeah. Teams figure out ways all the time to get the ball to their best players. And the 49ers, I feel like every week there's two or three guys on offense where it's like, where the hell was that guy? That was everybody in the second half on Sunday night. I just don't know if the 49ers, if, if, if it's the offense, if it's the quarterback, if it's Shanahan's unwillingness to force feed his good players, I don't know. But they got to figure that out. Yeah. I'm I'm generally in the boat of like move guys around, find matchups and figure out ways to get them the ball. Yeah. Like you can do pre-snap stuff. You can you can align George Kittle anywhere. There were a few times where he was. And this is this is a probably like. Where George Kittle might be too good of a blocker to where it hurts his number. It's like when the 49ers are really struggling to pass protect and then they keep George Kittle in for pass protection. And it's like, all right, so no, one of your on the route. Yeah, one of your two best pass catchers who you need to convert this third and 12 is not running a route because you need him to make a block, which is fine if you can get open elsewhere. Or have a quarterback who you know is going to hit the open guy. But that wasn't Jimmy on Sunday. No. So, yeah. I mean, it's it's problematic. I, the thing is, when an offense struggles, too, it's just like an avalanche. Like, one bad thing happens, and then you got to compensate with that bad thing, with another thing, like right. keeping George Kittle in the block. And now you lose your best path. Like it just keeps going downhill and the more bad things happen, the more they just snowball. Right. And it becomes this thing. And and that's, that's what I, sometimes I feel like people don't understand when like an offense doesn't play well. It's like, it's, 
you know, you have to be able to adapt for sure. But sometimes like one bad thing just leads to 10 bad things happening. And then it becomes way more difficult to move the ball, particularly yeah. against a good defense. Yeah. I think we're going to see better George Kittle moving forward. It was also his first game of the year too. Yeah. So he's still trying to get in a rhythm. Um, <laughs> Are you going to say that after every game where someone isn't awesome? Yes. hundred percent. No, just trying to get into a rhythm. We just got to get that. We're really going to, they're really going to work on getting him in a rhythm at practice this week. I, without fail, <laughs> there's a couple different coffee shops I go to in San Francisco in the mornings and without fail, whether it's, Bluestone Lane or Starbucks or the the little local spot. When I pop in there and they go, Hey, how's it going? I'm gonna go just trying to get in a rhythm. Like that's my new right. when they ask how I'm doing in the morning. Right. Give because I usually coffee. do the stupid like like I'll let you I'll let you know once I've had this coffee. <laughs> <laughs> that's what I usually do like an asshole. <laughs> so now I can go, I'm just trying to get in a rhythm. I like that a lot better. Do you have one of those mugs like don't talk to me till I drink my coffee? Oh my god, no. But I no. <laughs> I verbally say it though. <laughs> just should have got that for you for a wedding gift. Just live love coffee. <laughs> <laughs> I right. I have a I have a hoodie that says but first coffee. Yeah, that sounds right. I don't. That I don't tracks. have one. Uh okay, you have, a, you have a bumper sticker. You have a bumper sticker that says that. Yeah, right, right, right. Um, uh, Your first pick was Debo Samuel. Yes, Debo Samuel, who was excellent in the first half. Five catches, 73 yards. He finished the game with five catches and 73 yards. He had three targets in the second half, no catches. And again, I think in the in the same way that, that Kittle's stat line reflects the game. I think Debo Samuels does as well. Five catches, 73 yards, and the Niners average 6.2 yards of play in the first half. That's extremely efficient. And wow, when Debo Samuels is getting the ball, their offense is more efficient. And in the second half, he gets targeted three times. He doesn't catch any of them, and their offense stagnates. Not a coincidence. Also, five carries for six yards. Tough. Is that the worst not, the worst production not, they've gotten from him in a in a running game? Yeah, it's his fewest rushing yards since week nine of last year. Not great. Yeah, I don't know if it's a lack of creativity or teams are just onto it now, or if they're too predictable when he's in the backfield. Have they run have they ever run just straight play action with Debo in the backfield? I feel like that would work. I feel like they've I'm done sure some things but... where Debo's definitely been like they've used him as like a jet motion play action guy. Like there was a play. I think he had a catch where he was jet motion and they faked the plate, the, the sweep left to him. And then he wound up catching the pass in the left flat. That was like the second play of the game. Yeah. Um. So they do do things like that. But sometimes it does feel like when like they'll do the you know, the orbit motion where the guy mm-hmm. like runs from from the flanker spot out wide to like way behind the formation, like mm-hmm. five yards behind the quarterback. And it's like, cool. It's like eye candy. But then they snap the ball and the guy just kind of jogs to the flat like he's not even part of the play. Right. After the fake. And it just seems like kind of a waste. But yeah, I, I generally think like because even when you're just watching the game, you're like, oh, Debo's in the backfield. There's like an 80 percent chance he's going to get it here somehow. Right. If the ball's going to him. 
Yeah. Like, okay, the ball's going to Debo. Like, you're kind of pre- like telegraphing what's going to happen just based on his alignment. Mm-hmm. And I do think, like, you know, Debo Samuel's a 1,400 yard receiver last year. Yeah. Like, yeah. You, you need to be able to utilize him downfield. Because, you know, like as much as I talk about how the running game sets up everything for the passing game, the inverse can also be true. Mm-hmm. If you have receivers that can threaten defenses downfield and you could threaten them with explosive plays, then that's going to open things up for the running game. Mm-hmm. And that's when your offense is really going to start to be efficient. Yep. So yeah. they need to feed Debo. Yeah, but if but if Debo is only being utilized in bubble screens and slants, and you're not throwing it to him downfield when he's open, aside from the one time Jimmy Garoppolo underthrew him when he had Josie Jewell in coverage, <laughs> right? Like, yeah, you... Kyle Shanahan drew that play up and watched the Broncos and went, "Hey, we're gonna get Debo on a wheel route matched up against Josie Jewell, and we're gonna go for a touchdown." Like, he had to be hundred percent. He had to be thinking about that all week. Yeah. Like he, yeah. he watched the film on Monday from Denver and was like, if we get this look, it's a touchdown. Yes. Yes. And then it happens in the game and Garoppolo just kind of throws it up there. Just like, just pushes the ball. Just like his body language is like, please just complete it. <laughs> that's, do you know, that's all I care about. Know- it's and this is this is I think this is why Garoppolo is so frustrating. And I know we got to move on here, but but that's a perfect encapsulation of it. Because like if he completes that throw, that's a 60 yard touchdown or whatever it is. And now all of a sudden his line at the end of the night, he's got because he's probably not throwing it as much because now the Niners have a two score lead. And now his line is like he completes 68% of his throws and he's got 248 yards and a touchdown and or two touchdowns. And it's like, wow, look at Jimmy. And it's like that one play. And that's why it's so frustrating because like he's not terrible. He's not Nathan Peterman, but he consistently leaves like two plays on the field where it's like, man, they lost because of those two plays or you can point to those two plays when, when picking reasons they lost. And if they go the other way, his stat lines monster. Like that underthrow to Debo was like the perfect, like Garoppolo thing. Like, yeah, he completed it, but. And then even the interception was like Debo and triple coverage over the middle of the field. Right. Not good. Not great, Bob. All right, let's move on. Shout out to mad men great show i've not Um, watched it i just know the meme it's if you know if you know the show the meme is even funnier um can't wait charvarius ward mooney ward good game i thought Mm -hmm. was you know that play might have saved a touchdown he broke up the deep pass jerry judy Mm -hmm. um chris collinsworth was talking about like, oh, they just need one deep ball, just one deep ball. And it was like, it felt like at that moment they tried it and then Ward broke it up. Mm-hmm. Um, He just gives them an element that they had that they didn't have last year. That was one of the biggest reasons why they got off to that three and five start. We've talked about it a lot, but like their cornerback issue last year was really, really problematic. 
Yeah. And now it's not problematic at all. And their cornerbacks are playing at a really high level. And they've allowed nine points in two weeks. Yeah. Man. <laughs> it's amazing how that works. So we were talking about this a little bit earlier, but it's kind of crazy what the Niners secondary looks like now compared to what it looked like at this time last year, where D'Amador Lenore starts at nickel because like, yeah, Samuel Womack was fine, but Lenore was just playing better. And the fact that the Niners have that luxury to be like, yeah, hey, our starter is playing pretty well, but we actually have a player that's been on the bench who we think has looked better in practice. So we're going to put him in instead. Like that was unthinkable this time last year. But you have a healthy Emmanuel Mosley, good starting caliber corner. You have Traverius Ward, who they bring in in free agency, who, who you just talked about. He's been excellent. They draft a fifth round uh, a rookie in Samuel Womack. And they're one of their fifth round picks from last year, Diamondor Lenore develops. And all of a sudden, look, they're four corners deep. Like that's, that's pretty incredible considering that Josh Norman and Drake Kirkpatrick got meaningful snaps last year. Josh Norman. Yeah, that was the thing. That was the thing that happened. So Traverius Ward, good game from him. Just looking up his numbers right now, he's allowed 11 catches on 18 targets. 61%, which is fine. Mm -hmm. But it just feels like he's way more impactful than that. Yeah, and, and how many... Are you looking at PFF right now? Yeah. How much yak? I bet it's not a ten, lot. 10 yards on 11 catches. Right, because he's always right there. And the average depth of target is 14 yards downfield. Yeah. So when teams are taking deep shots, they're trying Ward. Yeah. But He's been, he's been really good. Yep. Yeah. Good pick. Save for that, that back shoulder throw that Wilson made to Cortland Sutton when he was guarded by Ward was the biggest play of the night to me because Ward had really good coverage. That was just a perfectly thrown back shoulder ball. Yeah. That'll happen. Yeah. Yeah. It's not even like, Oh, bad play by Ward. Like, no man, just better play by the quarterback. No, I'm of the mind that you that cornerbacks have to allow zero catches. Yeah. <laughs> Otherwise, right. they're yeah. trash. Yeah. <laughs> you said 11 catches on 18 targets. Get him the hell out of here. Yeah. That sucks. That is ass. Uh, Talano Hufanga, congrats to you, by the way, <laughs> for just nailing the Talanoa Hufanga Chris Collinsworth rant. Not rant, diatribe. And it was the first time Hufanga first tackle. Like he it just kind of, you know, not not really existent in the early going. And then flew in, gets a tackle for loss, and Collinsworth immediately <laughs> jumped into the like, here's a guy, like Troy Palomalu. Like just chalk. Yeah. Easy work. Easy, easy work. I mean, if you watch enough Chris Collinsworth, you know exactly like Yeah. <laughs> exactly what he's going to say about certain players if you watch you know any team closely yes um but no hufang is good man he's a he so i was a little so we we talked about this on on the friday pod but i was a little bit concerned with talano hufanga because he hadn't gotten tested really yet the bears passing offense is terrible justin fields has not completed more than nine passes in a game this year 
He hasn't gotten to 10 completions in a game. And then you get Geno Smith and the Seahawks, and yeah, okay, whatever. But this is like, man, this is Russell Wilson. This is moonshot city, and Hufanga didn't get caught up in anything, really, where he's you know chasing a receiver 15 yards down the field because he blew a coverage. And no, he was he was excellent again on, on Sunday night. So shout out to Talano Hufanga. Hufanga on the year has allowed three catches on nine targets in coverage. Wow. And he's had one interception and another tip that led to an interception in mm-hmm. Seattle. Um, so if there's if there's some we really want to knock Hufanga for, it's that he didn't cause an interception on Sunday night. So sucks. Only two of his three starts this year. <laughs> I could tell no fuck again. Gotta got get better at that. Um, I picked Nick Bosa next. Did you think it was like an obvious trip? Because I yeah. think when you when you okay, so when you slow it down and you look in super slow mo, like yeah, that that's a trip. But like when you watch it in real time as it happened, you're kind of like, oh, he's just kind of like. Like sprinting out. after one guy and like trying to reach and like when he reached, he also like reached with his leg. Like it didn't seem like he was consciously like, oh, I got to trip this guy. It so, was like, I, I'm trying to tackle this guy. But then like his limb just kind of like stretched out. I, I don't know. I, maybe I'm just not coordinated and I'm approaching this as somebody who isn't coordinated because I think Nick Bosa is really coordinated. So maybe he was tripping. Sure. But to me. Like so much of what happens in the NFL in particular, it's like, oh, when you slow it down in, you know, one eighteenth speed, mm-hmm. right? Like, oh God, that's the worst foul I've ever seen. And then you watch it in real time, it's like a split second like that. Well, that's that's the funny thing is I actually thought in real time it looked more like a trip than it did on slow mo. Okay. Because in real time, it's like, oh, he flew past him, way overshot the play, and just stuck his leg out. That's what it looked like in real time. And then when they slowed it down, it looked like, oh, he was reaching back and like just in the process of the way his body was moving, his leg picked up. But by definition, it's a trip. Yeah. Like he picked up his leg and impeded a player. Um, so I was shocked they picked the flag up. I thought the 49ers in general got a very yeah. favorable whistle. Yeah. Or just like a lot of breaks. Yeah. You know, like Emmanuel Mosley could have been flagged for a late hit out of bounds. The first touchdown easily could have been offensive pass interference or the only touchdown. The Debo Samuel pick play definitely could have been P.I. Mm-hmm. Um, the 49ers or the, the Broncos lost both their challenges. Um, include the, the punt Unlike one. Bad was, challenges. Yeah, the, punt the one was probably fine. the punt one was probably fine. But that's also like the 49ers just got super lucky that like that ball didn't tip the line. Right. The right. The way the ball landed just happened to not be tilting down. Right. Crazy. Yeah. Um, but so that like there were a lot of breaks that they got, which is why it was like, yeah, they're just getting every break. Like they're probably gonna win this game. And then they yeah. just then everything went to shit. The way the way they went down um and scored on that on that second drive felt like, oh, this is like a this is like a 30 plus point night coming. Yeah. And then it just stalled. Uh, Nick Bosa though just to get back to him had one of those games where it's like his impact was noticeable and matches the stats. I think he had six pressures, a sack and four quarterback hits. And it just looked like it. 
It felt like he was in the backfield on every play. He was unreal. Yeah, he's he's really good every <laughs> game. Yeah, but you but there's some games where it's like, man, didn't really notice Nick Bosa, and then you watch it again, and it's like, oh, he got triple teamed here, and that allowed Javon Kinlaw to sneak in, and oh, he had a him coming around the corner forced the quarterback to step up into Samson Abukam here. Or, um, he had a good run stop there that you didn't really see. It's it's like this this more underhanded, impactful stuff. That Sunday night game was him being loudly impactful. He So per PFF, he's tied for second in the NFL in pressures with 16. Wow. And he leads the NFL in quarterback hits with seven. Man. Hell of a player. I think he's probably just going to get picked every week. And per PFF, he's tied for the league lead in uh, sacks with one, two, three, four, five, like eight guys. Wow. How many? Four? Yeah. FF has them for four. They don't do half sacks. Right. Aiden Hutchinson, my guy with three. Wow. Hey, your boy. Go blue. (laughs) My last pick, Trent Williams, who obviously got hurt. That's bad. But nailed the Sunday night football Trent Williams montage Mm -hmm. of him just shutting down pass rushers. That happened to a T. I mean, you and Good I could call. produce. You and I could produce Sunday Night Football. That's what I learned from Friday's podcast. At least Sunday Night Football games involving the Niners. Yeah, but dude, you tell me, hey, whatever the Sunday Night game is next week, you guys are producing it. You give me a week to to yeah, watch some fair. games. We can figure it out. That's fair. So, um, yeah, really good Trent Williams game prior to him suffering a high ankle sprain that's going to keep him out for several weeks. And and his injury to to my earlier like point on Kittle, why it was a good pick by you. Niners couldn't block anybody once he was out, and that was told the story of the game. Did you by chance, speaking of not being able to block anybody, (laughs) did you watch the safety really closely? And what happened with Randy Gregory on that play? Did they cut him loose? Juszczyk was split out as a tight end and supposed to block Randy Gregory. I've never seen Kyle use get discarded so quickly. Oh, really? It was like, he starts to kind of do come across at an angle and Gregory just like got his left hand underneath use shoulder pads and just tossed him. Like had no idea. Randy Gregory had that in him. I know he's a former first round pick and he's incredible in college, but did not realize he had that kind of play in him. It was wild. He was really, really impactful in that game for the Broncos. Yes. Yes, he was. He was a problem for them. Number five on a pass rusher looks sick. It looks really cool, in my opinion. Kayvon Thibodeau, have no idea if he was good or not for the Giants tonight, but he looked sick as hell in his uniform. I mean, if you're like a big dude and you're just buff, like you're going to look cool in your uniform unless you're wearing like number. 49 or something right shout out to bruce miller Oof. Never mind. <laughs> and matt barrows <laughs> yeah matt barrows big matty barrows guy <laughs> number 49 matt barrows who won this week i had debo hufanga and williams you had kittle warden bosa so are we doing it who had better games 
Yeah. Or like who told. Okay. Um, That's tough. Debo, Hufanga, and Trent. Debo was better than Kittle. Was Hufanga better than Ward? Because I think Bosa was better than Williams. Yeah, I mean, Bosa was better than Williams. I think it's a toss-up between Ward and Hufanga. Like, Hufanga had a couple... He had a TFL. He got the he got the montage. He got Although, he had the he had the one where he jumped the play so quick he like almost tackled Russell Wilson before he got to the handoff. Yeah. Oh, that's Troy Polamalu used to do that. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh. but Ward did get some treatment from the broadcast too. He, he got, did. He got singled out a little bit, so it's hard. We'll to call say. it a tie this week. Okay, we'll play for the tie. Play for a tie. Week three, just a horrendous job by us. <laughs> on, on well, doing we've never the bit. fleshed out this bit. It's just a way to talk about players. So. Yeah, yeah. But we just there was so much quarterback discussion. Oh, I have an idea, I, bro. I have an idea. How have we not thought of this? I'm Is adding this... up. P- I'm adding up PFF grades. That's oh, what I'm doing oh, right now. I, Here we I, go. Okay. What did I, you mad? You I don't know it. if I don't know if I endorse this, but. Let's let's do the math on the podcast. Let's this will be really. You want good. me to do math on this podcast? Oh crap! <laughs> oh boy! All right, Kittle's fifty-seven point six. That's gonna hurt. That's gonna hurt you bad. So just make sure you add the colors. <laughs> to the. What do you mean? Add the colors. So no, when you the say when you say what the grade is, give the color as well, so we have a better idea of whether it's good. Oh, I see. Okay, because well, it's not 60, like ABC is like... average. I, I I apologize to anybody who's still listening to this. <laughs> oh, Hufanga. Oh, wow. Hufanga was dark orange at fifty two point zero. Oh, that's bad. That's really bad. Wow. Oh man. Tough scene for Huff. Really, really tough. We tough might have to. Re- we might have to. <laughs> we might have to rethink everything we know about Hufanga. Given he was a dark orange on Sunday. Okay, you had a uh, big victory here. Oh, let's go. Yeah, 214.5 to 194.3. Huff's 52, which is a dark orange, really killed me. You had Ward, who was 81.7. That's blue. That's almost blue. Blue's it's a really elite. Dark green. Blue it's a really is dark elite. green. It's not okay. quite blue. Um, Blue's Samuel elite. Womack, dark green is really good. Yeah. And yeah. then the lighter, the green, the worse, down into like the yellow, which right. is bad. Right. Yeah. You had Traverius Ward, who was the highest graded player, 81.7. That's work. Congrats on your victory. Yeah. I'm just I'm proud of you. I'm just going to stretch. Yeah. Do the little victory stretch situation. <laughs> I'm not okay. I'm not making fun of PFF. I just really enjoy that they have grades and colors assigned to the grades. That's it's just it's a nice touch. In case numbers aren't your thing. <laughs> now when you say it's now, when you say it's green, is it more of a lime green or like a yellow green? Right. Is there is it is it like a is there a yellow hint to it? <laughs> is it green with a yellow tinge or yellow with a green tinge? Because I like I like the dark. Like I need my guys to have a dark green grade from from the game. Yeah. If it's anything, if it's anything less than like Oakland A's green, I'm out. Yeah. Bad game. Get him off my team. <laughs> Cut his ass. <laughs> Can I can I real quick? I don't want to pile on because I really I I, think I like at PFF. Some point... I like PFF. This is no. not this is not a dig at PFF. They just 
visually i get why they do it it's just funny that they have these grades in this very scientific method and then colors (laughs) (laughs) jalen moore in his seven snaps totaled a 28.6 overall grade and a 0.0 pass blocking grade i don't think i've ever seen that is it pff evaluator it's dark red (laughs) (laughs) it's maroon it's dark (laughs) It is borderline like black. <laughs> and actually they get to a point with the red where they don't even go darker anymore. It's just like, yeah, hey, when you get below 30, it's all crap. <laughs> but I don't think I've ever the evaluator was just like, hey, zero. This is bad. Yeah. Tough. Tough scene. Anyways. I don't have anything else to say about this game. Thank God. Yeah, Niners-Rams on Monday Night Football. It's going to be fun. Can't wait to preview that one. I have no idea what to expect from the Niners this week. Depends on how good of a rhythm Jimmy Garoppolo can get into in practice. Yeah, well, yeah. But I think yeah, we'll have to ask him on you know when he talks to the media. Hopefully the reporters ask him how, what kind of rhythm he's getting in Santa Clara. Just play some music, let him clap along to it, see how it goes. <laughs> like, ooh, he's way off beat. Hopefully get some coffee in him. Jimmy Garoppolo definitely can't dance, right? Jimmy like Garoppolo. He's, de- he's definitely like balls up the fist, keeps him right up here by his chest and just kind of like like moves the shoulders and fists up and down guy. Like he's just keeps it tight right in here. He's too cool to dance. So like we're talking dancing. Yeah, I don't. He's I don't at a see wedding. Jimmy Garoppolo. If he's at a if he has a date, he can dance with his date. Okay. He's got like the footwork. But in terms of like Jimmy Garoppolo, like two stepping, I'm with you. It's probably awkward. And he's no probably, he's, no he chance. would probably prefer to sit out. He has no rhythm. I guarantee Jimmy Garoppolo has no rhythm. Yeah. Like he's not doing the Dougie. No. Or the Harlem shake or a combination of either. Not to say I, I can do those things. I cannot, I cannot dance. But just evaluating Jimmy Garoppolo based on his personality, I think based on the way he talks that he can't dance. Now I want him to score a touchdown on a quarterback sneak and just crip walk all the way back to the sideline. That would be (laughs) just crip walk into like a gritty. and Oh, that'd be amazing. (laughs) Okay, we've gone too long. This has gone way too far. Thank you, everybody who's made it this far. Subscribe, rate, review. If you're looking for beer to drink, might we suggest Cooperage Brewing? You can go to cooperagebrewing.com. You can order it online. They will overnight it to your house. It shows up to your house cold. If you're at your local bottle shop or in the Bay Area and you see it, grab a four pack. I recommend any of them. I have yet to have a Cooperage beer where I'm like, eh, maybe not that one. They're all very good. And if you're in Santa Rosa ever, go to the brewery. Um, it's off Piner Road it. and Airway, and they always have really good food trucks there, and the staff is amazing. Great vibes. Vibes are good. Tell them, have... you, tell them you heard about the brewery on Candlestick Chronicles. Yeah. Tell if them you're... Chris and Kyle sent you. Yeah. Tell them we sent you. If you're a big ceiling fan person, boy. <laughs> <laughs> hey, they, they got something you got to check out. Connoisseur. They got something you should see. If you're a big fan of big fans... <laughs> Check out Cooperage. I have nothing else to say. Um, I think I, yeah, yeah. I said uh, Cooperage.com last week. It's definitely Cooperage Brewing. 
Cooper'sBrewing.com. Yep. Order your beer. Nice. 21 and up. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.